So hello and welcome to another episode of the RPG Academy's Show and Tell. This is the show where we bring on a cool guest to talk about something cool that they've been working on. And tonight's cool guest is RPG designer Timothy Gonzalez. And that cool thing that we're going to be talking about is Ancestry Awakened. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I don't think anyone has called me an RPG designer yet, and it feels nice. I like that. All right, Tim, you are an RPG designer. <laughs> you have, you've got a credit to your name, a book, and you've got another one coming. Yeah, I guess you're right. It it, it does feel nice. And uh, yeah, I, I, I am Tim Gonzalez, and I am an RPG designer. <laughs> yes, just t- take it, grab it, accept it. This is your identity now. <laughs> So <laughs> that's so scary. I'm I'm sorry if I put that pressure on you. No, okay. So Tim, what we're gonna do is you have a you've got a new product coming out, right? Yeah, I do. Uh, I'm working on a new Kickstarter. It's called Ancestry Awakens for Five E. You've got a a Kickstarter that should be rolling right around the corner. So I know that's really exciting. And what we're gonna do is I want to get to know you a little bit, and then also I want to hear about ancestry awaken and then also we are it would not be a you have a previous product called the archive of magic items and i am a massive fan of magic items so we are definitely going to be talking about this as well Ooh, excellent i love magic items (laughs) so um yes this is um we're gonna just dive right into him and real quick though how did you okay so you're an RPG designer, so obviously you don't just wake up one day and decide that you're going to be an RPG designer. So let's take this all way back. All right. So when did you start playing RPGs? Give us the origin story. So my first exposure to it was probably as a young kid in Barnes & Noble, seeing these really cool 3.5 D&D books on the bookshelves. And going, that looks really cool. The artwork looks really cool. And not doing anything with it because I didn't know what it was or have anyone to really play it with. Um, Fast forward to high school. I'm working at a summer camp. And someone comes and says, hey, I've got D&D. Who wants to play? And I'm like, yes, I've been waiting uh, my short life for this moment. So that's that's when I first started playing it was... um, Back at camp, 3.5 is, is what was out. Um, and then I still didn't really have any like people in my day-to-day life that played it or were interested in it. So it wasn't until college, around when 4th edition came out, that's when I was like, all right, I'm getting a group together. Some of my friends are interested in it now. And that's when I like dove headlong into it at that point, back in, uh, back in the release of 4th edition. That's, I mean, that is like the quintessential, like, I feel like RPG discovery story. I'm just envisioning little, little Timothy Gonzalez, you know, summer camp. All of a sudden somebody, hey, Tim, you want to play Dungeons and Dragons? And then it just, it just snowballed from there. Boy, do I. (laughs) So the, um, so you have a lot of experience then with fourth edition and now you've been playing fifth edition since it came out. Mm Mm-hmm. And now, and then you decided that you were going to start adding to the the world of fifth edition Dungeons of Dragons. So, what was that? What what made you decide that you wanted to start making your own stuff 
for the game that other people would see. So one of the cool things 4th edition had was the like encounter or monster builder tool set that they had for it where you could like take a monster and like bump it up a level or down a few levels or build a custom monster and that got me really interested in like the underlying mechanics behind the system so then when fifth edition came out you know the dmg has info on how you build a monster and how you you know customize your own things and like that was always one of the most interesting things to me was like like what are the like i understand how to build a character and all that stuff that's in there but how does the game work like the behind the scenes what are they doing with it so i was always tinkering around with that once they came out with the rules for it and then once D came out with the dm's guild where they were like, hey, you can actually put stuff up here for other people to play with. I was like, you know what? I've got a few things I've done. I I think I can put something up there. And I think the first thing I did was just like a small little book of a bunch of random, like different types of goblins you could use. Um, but that was that was the first thing. I was like, ooh, you know what? I should get stock art for this so it looks nice. And then the next thing you know, I've build a book of a bunch of little goblins and put it on the DM skill. And I'm like, oh, I kind of like that. I should keep doing this. Yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting you talk about the DM skill because I, yeah, the, I mean, nothing is perfect, but what the DM Guild has done has given people a platform and has encouraged people who would never have done any sort of RPG design, has encouraged them to take that next step. It is really just broken down so many barriers and just made it so much easier to do it and i think it's cool that you mentioned stock art because i think that stock art is one of the most important things for rpg design and when you're looking at the dm's guild you're like people are thinking oh why is this why what's with this art i've seen this art before but what (laughs) it is is yes you've seen that art before but what you're doing is you're you're these the words that somebody has put down on this paper and the the art there is just it's really elevating it so the dm's guild has given you tools such as all these different stock arts and just a platform for doing these things so i think it's it's pretty neat that you've just gone for it yeah it's great it's it's almost that like low barrier to entry thing like they're not stopping you from putting anything there's no real like like a quality threshold for something to put there like it doesn't have to be professional level you can just put no pictures just text it's just that the fact that it exists as a place where you could put stuff was just surprising and it it had never entered my mind of actually doing something with this until that point i didn't know it was an option until that point and then you decided though that you were going to take it another level all right so, because we talk about their stock art, and then you decided to do the archive of magic items. Yes. And that, I will say this too, um, we will talk, the, the cover for Ancestry Awaken is phenomenal. The cover for the archive is amazing. It's just, it's it's so cool. You see these adventurers, and there's just gold everywhere all around them. And just the, it's a, uh, the style is very painted and artistic it's really cool and so you decided dm's guild now let's do archive of magic items which you went to kickstarter correct yeah that's right 
So what was the, um, how, where did you go from just putting stuff on the DMs Guild to now you have, you have, which we didn't even mention, Pirate Gonzalez Games. You actually have like a, a brand name for your products and you decided to go to Kickstarter. So what did that look like going from DMs Guild, Kickstarter? What was that? What was your thought process there? So like the first stuff on DMs Guild was like the gateway, the gateway into it. So then I started making, you know, bigger and better products on the DMs Guild with more art. But one of the one of my favorite parts of any fantasy RPG are the magic items. Just like a personal favorite of mine. Mine too. So glad to hear that. Yes. So um I had been creating for all my home games or whatever, just a ton of small little you know, homebrew items. And eventually I had collected enough of these that I was like, you know what? I really like making these. I really like designing them. I want to do a product for this because this is fun for me and I think other people would enjoy it. Um, But the problem with magic items is you're not really going to find stock art for them. Like you, you can find a few pieces, but for like, the unique stuff that you're thinking of, like, you know, a sword wrapped in bandages or a sword that blows bubbles or something. Like, come on. I would be surprised I, if you found stock art for all those. So we'll talk about the bubble sword because I wrote something down about that. <laughs> all right. So keep on going, though. Keep on going. I interrupted. Yeah. So so that that's what it was. It was the realization, like, this is a thing I want to do, um, but to for me to be happy with it, I want to see these as as they are in my head like i don't want to settle for trying to find a piece of stock art to shoehorn into that so that's what the whole like impetus for the kickstarter was it was like you know what i want to hire professional artists to do the art for this that's a lot of money i can't do that myself and the the weird uh interactions with funding and dm's guild it just it had to be all through kickstarter Mm -hmm. for that um so that's that's what started i was like all right there's there's one way of doing it i am not a rich person so to kickstarter we go (laughs) yeah no i think it's the magic items are i think are one of the very cool things about dungeon dragons fifth edition there are um a lot of times you can find that your game, if your game starts to feel a little stale, or if you feel like your players maybe are maybe getting a little bored with what's going on, there is no greater catalyst for excitement than to give them a magic item or offer them the chance to get one. So that's why I love them. And you have some very cool magic items. So the... I also so this is I think this is all going to feed in then to the ancestry awaken. I think it shows the the quality of product that you can put out. I definitely appreciated how you laid out the the um the archive of magic items and how it's instead of the the if you go in the dungeon master's guide, it is just all the magic items are laid out alphabetically. All right. That is not helpful. <laughs> I want a section of armor. I want a section of weapons and I want a section of all these different things. And you've broken it down like that. So there you go. You get, you get, you get a check in the box for that. All right. Perfect. (laughs) Then also one of the other things that I, you have a magic item called the sympathy armor. All right. 
And it is fantastic. And we were talking beforehand a little bit that you don't just play Dodgers and Dragons. You you like some Powered by the Apocalypse too, correct? That is correct. Yep. This Huge armor of it. <laughs> screams Powered by the Apocalypse. It's a, all right, explain to, can you explain to people what the sympathy armor is? Yeah. So I got it. I got it pulled up here, but uh, that's suit of armor requires attunement. But what it does, it allows you to empathize with someone so well that you take on their suffering for them. So what you can do is you can take mechanically, you can take a condition that they are suffering from. So blinded, prone, restrained, some, something like that. Um, and you can take it from them and apply it to yourself. I, I love it. it. Just the whole idea, just the role play aspect of like taking somebody's negative emotions to help them is that's the kind of stuff that I love in games. Plus, it sounds so melodramatic and big fan of that. Yeah. And and you know what? Like, it, it's so cool, like playing other games and and getting inspiration and ideas from them, because as I was going through archive of magic items at that time i was also playing a lot of pbta games and the way that those games work influence how some of the magic items are designed you just kind of take oh what are the cool ideas or i like how that works and start trying to see how can i in how can i bring that into a different system that operates on a different set of rules so yeah there, there was a lot of influence from pbta as i was going through that yeah, I mean, I, I, I've heard several other designers tell me that in order to really be a good designer, and I'm not a designer, I don't ever want to design games. I just <laughs> want to play your all's games. Okay, that's all I want to do. And, but what they said was that in order to be a really good designer, you need to be reading other games and playing other games. You can have your favorite game and you can play that all the time, but it's always so great to pull inspiration from other stuff. So, but with that said, we've talked about all this other cool stuff that you've done, but let's talk about Ancestry Awaken, because this is what we're here for. So can you tell us then, what is, what is Ancestry Awakened? All right. So Ancestry Awakened is, it's a, you know, it's a new book for fifth edition, but it's a book of 40 plus brand new and reworked ancestries uh, for fifth edition uh what we're doing is we're we're adding in new ones um we are taking uh we're adding a new system for how ancestries work or races in D D. um using a uh what i call a major minor feature system um that is directly inspired by uh ryan langer's um what is it grazalax's guide on the dm's guild uh, that had ton of cool ideas that we've we've incorporated into this in order to allow every ancestry you use to be unique and different. So one of the things that always bothered me about how fifth edition presented something like the half orc is the half orc was just a single package. Like you pick a half orc, that's going to be you get all your stats, all the stuff. There's no other choice associated with it. Whereas you pick like a halfling or an elf and they have, you know, subtypes that you can pick. So it, it, some, some of them had this extra level of choice and some didn't. And I was like, you know what, wouldn't it be great if just everything had that level of choice associated with it? 
So we've, we've taken that for any of the new ones we're putting in here, and we've also reworked the existing ancestries to incorporate that as well. So you can either take our new stuff or just play with this you know, new set of rules for what you're familiar with already. I think that's interesting that you've done is one of the one of the draws to Dungeons and Dragons versus a more um, story game or some other games is Dungeons and Dragons. It should offer a lot of different options for customizing. And so I which we'll get into some of the more crunchy bits of what you're doing here. But it definitely it opens up a whole nother dimension of creating characters that are not only you can make them incredibly mechanically powerful but it's not just about that you can really give them as i was reading through some of the ones you sent me you can really get them to have the story feel that you really want out of them yeah and um what we did as well some of the exist some of the new ancestries that we're putting in the book they're taken from some of the traditionally monstrous characters from DD and taking a different look at them like all right what if we take a medusa um what if we take a minotaur and we use them as a balanced balance is important um a balanced ancestry but also let's take a look at some of the lore associated with that and take that as an opportunity to reinvent them to fit in as like a playable character with a culture and everything instead of just they are monster. They like to eat you. <laughs> like, give them a little more depth. <laughs> yeah, now you can play them. No, okay. But before we go any further, I do want to talk about something that you've made it a very clear, you've made a clear des- design design decision. And it is, it's front and center in the, the title of the book. And also right at the beginning, you have a blurb about it. And it's the choice to use, and I think it's the choice to use the word ancestry instead of race. Yeah. And... Could you explain a little bit? So, what was the what was the driving force for this, and why do you think that us using the word ancestry here, and what does this mean for the game? Yeah. So, the reason has to do more of more because of issues of the term race and how race as a as a term and as a mechanic is used in most traditional fantasy RPGs. Um, there's a lot of really good information out there that people can find that goes into this like very detailed and explains it really well. But one of the basic stuff is this notion of race in fantasy RPGs is based on this very problematic belief that there are some innate things about a person um, based on based on their race. So you know this group of people is inherently smarter or prettier, or this group of people is inherently, you know, uh, drawn to performing evil acts. And like that entire notion is just, it's based on flawed, problematic beliefs that we have since moved away from, but it just persists in most fantasy RPGs. Um, The term ancestry is being used for, um, to better represent it, because even in something like D&D, the term race isn't even accurate. Like when you look at the difference between like a dragonborn or a half orc or an elf, you're looking at more like a difference in species. Um, 
And there's been lots of discussions in the RPG community about, you know, what what is the best term to use in this case. And species also often gets used in a lot more like sci-fi settings. But for fantasy RPGs, ancestry is the term that more people are settling on as a better represent representation for, you know, what it actually is. Um, one of the big examples being Pathfinder. Um switch to using ancestry in their second edition book yeah the you you kind of mentioned it yes a lot of rpg people will come out and say that well it's not really race it's species but it's that's not how the that's not how we're using it in the <laughs> in the terminology it's not it's it's where people when people mention race in games they're mentioning it how we would consider it in our real world ethnic race and so when people start you you met we mentioned it when you start assigning these innate values to like it's just it doesn't make any sense because it doesn't make any sense in a real world <laughs> standpoint like it it just really doesn't nobody is like stronger or more intelligent based on their their race it's just it's it just doesn't make any sense and so i think going this route is just it's more it's more culturally sensitive but it also it just makes sense like, yeah <laughs> it does it's so so i think that's it's really um so i think that having more of these products like what you're doing i think every little bit is going to help move us away from these elements that have just like a lot of people most people know that i only came in at fifth edition and i didn't realize that like all this stuff's been going on for years and it's only now that we're 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 starting to move away from it and it's taken a while but i'm glad to see that yeah and and same thing like i wasn't aware of these issues until you know into my fifth edition um lifespan but once once i did find out about it i went yeah that that makes sense and i we should try to do better you know it's it's out there now and now we know yeah so instead of playing a i think it's i i'm trying to think i think it's in the eberron's guide i think they actually well it first originally showed up in volos where you can play is it i think half ogres or something like that where they had the negative intelligence bonus and i just didn't make it didn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, they they were doing all right with like the core fifth edition stuff, you know, better. They weren't doing negative ability score increases. Yeah, and then they started throwing that in with like kobolds and orcs and stuff. It was like, oh, come on, guys. Yeah, this is not no. So what you've done is let's talk about the mechanics then to kind of get away from that. So you have basically, the, which I'll let you explain it, but. What I gathered from this is that the two big mechanical changes that you've done is the ability to assign ability score bonuses based on your choice as a player and not having something locked in, and then also the um, minor and major features. Um, so how do these ability score bonuses work? So uh, real easy. Uh, everyone gets the exact same uh, set of free bonuses. No, regardless of whatever ancestry you pick, you get a plus two and a plus one to two separate ability scores or 
a plus one to three different ones of your choice. Every ancestry gets that. Um, and what an interesting thing happens when you level the playing field like that. Um, suddenly, a lot more choices are suddenly viable. So a lot of a lot of choice that goes into in D anD D your race or your ancestry is about which what gets me those best ability score increases, uh, and then suddenly getting rid of that it just takes out that step. So the next thing is just go okay, well I guess what are the interesting things like either what do I want to play or what other things are interesting like what unique features or abilities instead of just what gets me that plus two to dexterity? I'm going to be the best rogue out there. <laughs> yeah, you don't always have to be a elf rogue or a half elf warlock. Like, yeah, because there's been so many times where I've wanted to play like a dragonborn warlock. And I'm like, I am definitely a story first player. But when I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons, you're still playing Dungeons and Dragons. And at the end of the day, the core mechanic is to hit stuff and and loot stuff and take its treasure i mean that is the core design principle of dungeons and dragons so when i'm playing it i want to do it well and so when i do that i'm not going to take this sub-optimized character for some long-running campaign yeah like saying you can choose to do whatever you want is true but it is it the best choice? And it's not even fun because when you get a game like D&D where you have like success or failure is binary, missing and failing on stuff isn't really fun. <laughs> like you want to succeed at things. So therefore not picking an optimal choice is kind of penalizing you as a player, like cutting out on some of your fun maybe. It absolutely does. And that's definitely, I mean, we, there's that whole conversation about um, should you play Dungeons and Dragons or should you play another game? And with Dungeons and Dragons, the, yeah, you you like you mentioned, it's a binary: you f- pass or fail. And yes, failing is failing can be fun sometimes, but we're not playing Fate, where this failure is giving you some sort of bonus. <laughs> failure in Dungeons and Dragons is mechanically bad, and most of the time, story based bad. Yeah. So opening these things up is really, really interesting. So with that, then we also come into the minor and major features, which are every, if you look in the the player's handbook, all of the races have, they've got these certain things that they can do, such as they have dark vision or they can... they can r- run far or all these different things. But those also... Are those also can contribute to, I would say, like some certain problematic elements, like drow cannot come out into the sun. But you've also gone ahead and added these minor major improvements to really allow you to customize, but then customize within still a tight framework. So how does this work then? Minor and major features. Yep. So the this is the idea that came from... Uh, Grazalix's Guide to Ancestry uh, on the DMs Guild. Uh, they're they're doing it. We're taking a slightly different approach, but the idea of uh, mechanically balanced, each character basically gets two major features or two minor features. So 
uh, or one major and four minor. So two and two, one and four. Um, but these are major features being mechanically impactful things that are generally bigger and you know more fun or they're very distinct towards whatever ancestor you're playing so like a dragonborn's fire breath is like a prime example of like a major feature that not everyone would have um and then you get two minor features these would be the smaller less mechanically powerful or impactful things that are still important like your dark visions or your skill proficiencies or something um and the key thing with what we're doing in Ancestry Awakened is basically, you know, providing you with a a list of stuff, like more than just one or two choices in there. Um, this kind of represents the idea of the subtypes that 5e has, like Wood Elf, High Elf, Drow, like those, those subtypes. Um, but kind of just, you know, list them out. Like, here are features for you to select from, so that way... When you do design a character, not everyone's going to be exactly the same. Like, you can take those abilities that you want. And it it kind of puts a little level of, like, uh, background building into your character as well. If you think, like, all right, these are all options that are available for someone of my ancestry. Why are these the choices I have? Like, if you could pick three different types of magic, like... Why did you pick this one instead of these ones? Like, it's kind of making you build some of that story as well without just saying, like, hey, decide, you know, come up with backstory. You're, you're doing it automatically and hopefully without noticing. Yeah, it's, it's not just like you're a dwarf so now you can like touch stones and know exactly <laughs> what they mean like there's other you've given there's some different options available here i i think like an example would be the gargoyle because i'm just looking at it right now whereas the like major features so you have wings which basically give you a flying speed uh, but you can't be wearing medium or heavy armor all right or you can take light wings, where you could take medium or heavy armor, but now you have to land at the end of each of your turns. So you're kind of like a chicken, like just flying up and down. <laughs> so there's there's obviously these trade-offs, and it all seems very balanced, but you have, there's all these different things that you can really use to really customize your your character to how you want your character to be. Yeah, and there's... Like, what we're trying to do with it as well, like, we're using this major-minor feature system, and we're we're trying to make sure everything is, you know, balanced and, and fair choices, but at the same time, we're not getting super granular or, you know, minute details. So, like, flight is always going to be a hard thing to balance, but at a certain point, you just have to go, you know what, what's the the flavor or what would someone want to be able to do and especially when you're getting into like a supplemental book like this you just kind of have to assume like we're putting our best best foot forward we're not wizards of the coast like not everything's going to be perfectly balanced and that's not exactly our goal our goal is to like make sure that we present you with fun options and that like it's it still feels like you're playing D&D that it's not drastically changing like how the core game works like working within the confines so that you can still play the game 
no, I think that's important. I'm glad you're, I'm glad, I'm glad you said that because it, there's a lot of fun stuff in here that may not on its surface, like seem like you said, like balanced or something that wizards would just would put in their books. And it's not like anything is I, the stuff that I've read. It's not like it's like broken or overpowered, but it's just, it's different and it's, it feels exciting and something fun like you said something new to try out and i think that's also important that you said is if somebody is using supplemental materials it's they have a reason for doing it and it's because that what has been presented is not what they want they want something different yeah they're already primed to that idea so that that should work out (laughs) yeah the so there's all sorts of cool things and actually i wanted to bring this up and not that uh one of the things it did remind me of some Swedish role playing games. I'm not sure if you've played any of the free leagues games at all. No, I haven't. But, I'm not so, even familiar with this. No, Tell so me more. there, um, so there is obviously. So they did uh, Tales from the Loop, and they've done um, Simbaram and uh, the um, Forbidden Lands, and they do something. It's it's different, but it's a little bit similar. So what they do is they have this big list of attributes it's a they have all these different attributes and then when you pick a when you pick a race in these games it just gives you like you can pick whatever attributes you want but it gives you like a list of like these five attributes are typically something that you would see with them so yeah that's why it was kind of reminding me of that because i love their games so much because it allows me to really make the character that i want so i just wanted to you know little 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 sidetrack right there no that's cool and that's worth checking out too and like one of the other benefits of like i I like when things have an internal logic and consistency with each other as well so like one of the benefits of like doing a system like a set system this is how all ancestries are built in this book is that you can use that system to build your own or edit and tweak your own you go listen two majors two minors like every ancestry is built with that so if you want to build your own like you you can just plug in that same system and it it should all fit with each other like create your own or mix and match actually mix and match is is um something you can do like why are half elves and like half orcs the only uh the only mixed uh backgrounds you have with a, with this kind of system, you can just go, all right, well, if you want to represent being from two different ancestries, just, you know, you pick one major, one minor from one side and one major, one minor from another one. Boom. <laughs> Suddenly you can have a lot more, uh, um, a lot more combinations like that too, if you so want. Yeah, absolutely. I could just like imagine like a null gargoyle. Like that sounds just, that sounds cool. That like, does sound cool. I know, right? Everybody <laughs> loves gnolls and then throwing some gargoyles. No. So you've got how many, I, you, I think you mentioned it earlier. So how many different ancestries are you going to have? So uh, for the Kickstarter, the the amount we're starting with is 40 new ones and reworking all the all the existing ones that we are legally allowed to include <laughs> um, in this. Uh, but we have we have 40 new new ones for fifth edition we have 
as of right now, up to 60, I believe, that will have as various amounts of stretch goals. But for the but for the minimum amount to get us off the ground, I've got 40, 40 new ones in there. So those are those are a lot, and I'm sure they're all your they're all your children. But if you had to pick one, like I know I, I what was what what whether it's your favorite just from designing it or just favorite in general, like you would want to play it at the table. Do you have a favorite, or is there a couple that you really like? Oh yeah, I absolutely have a favorite. Okay, well, drop it. It's the Machina. It's the robot. Okay, I'm a I'm a sucker for for robots. I love Warforged. I just love the idea. I I like. I was always into like Final Fantasy and World of Warcraft. So I really one of my personal favorites is like this mix of technology and magic in a fantasy setting. So I've always loved the idea of robots in a fantasy RPG setting. So uh, the artwork that we have for the Machina is incredible as well. But I just love the idea of being able to play an actual robot in in fifth edition. Yeah, I'm looking at the art right now. It, it is it's pretty incredible. Not gonna lie. It's <laughs> it's got a real it's got a real alien esque vibe, but it still feels very fantasy. Yeah. I love it. The it kind of reminds me of okay. Do you play um do you play Skyrim? Yes. It reminds me a lot of the technology of like the ancient dwarfs that were like underneath yeah. of there. It's just got this really cool, like holding these green. Oh, it's good. This is a, <laughs> this is a, I'm not going to do a chef kiss because it's terrible audio, but like, you know, this is a chef kiss right here for the Machina. Beautiful. Yeah, it is. So <laughs> I actually wrote something down. I think a good example of the, one of the features of the Machina that you can choose is electrical capacitors. So, that's it's a cool like story thing you've got these electrical capacitors that can charge and discharge and everything but from a mechanical standpoint it gives you resistance to lightning damage yeah simple real simple minor minor feature yeah and that's one of the cool things is like uh when you name these features like you can come up with cool evocative names for some of these things too like electrical capacitors sound so much cooler than just resistance to lightning damage even though that's basically just what it is yep no so one of the things goes kind of talking about these whole idea of flavor and then mechanics so with you ancestries so ancestries in a game so so often i fall into this trap where it's the ancestries in the game will just i'll forget about them and then all of my players are just this homogenous group of adventurers running around doing stuff okay so do you have any tips for game masters or players for really in the game making your ancestry really impactful to the story yeah so this one this probably comes from more of my love of like homebrewing worlds instead of using existing ones but um letting there's a bit of trust involved here, but letting your players contribute to the world building goes a huge way. Like, I can sit there and I can come up with this super detailed world with a history that's super interesting, but the problem is no one else knows or really, you know, cares, uh, and they have to sit there and ask questions about everything. Like, what kind of town are we going into? 
you know, like who are the people that are here? But if you open up world building to your players and you collaborate on a world together, they have an instant buy-in to what this game setting is. Suddenly, if they've contributed to like this capital city and like who lives there and it's in a volcano and stuff like that, they don't have to ask questions when they arrive there. Everyone knows this and you get this cool thing happening where they're more empowered. So instead of just asking like, what do we do next? They have ideas and they know places in the world. And it's something that's hard to get if you're like creating it by yourself and sharing it bits and pieces. But if everyone had a hand in doing it, it, it just makes it so much easier. So the same thing goes with like what ancestries are around. Like, who do your players what do your players want to play as like are they the only ones like do humans exist stuff like that like it can change the dynamic and create these really interesting worlds because of it yeah those are very wise words and things that i have in the last couple years have really just tried to do so often in my games because you said it you said it first it makes it so much easier just people are having more fun but just from a game master's perspective letting your players have the agency and help create the world gives them the buy-in and takes a lot of that creative pressure off of you as a game master when you're trying to juggle so many different things so have you have you ever played microscope i have played microscope i got to play it for the first time this past fall oh awesome i i really like it as a, a tool that we sometimes would play like we sit down and we're like, all right, we want to play a game together. We'll use this system. But before we get into it, let's play a round of a game of microscope to like find out the world we're actually going to play in. And okay. we've used that a bunch of times and like it creates these really cool like environments and everyone participated in it. Yeah, I think that especially with something like this, that Ancestry Awaken, like if you if you had a player who's like, I want to play a Machina and then another player was like, I want to be a Gargoyle. Like you have these two, which you like, how do these men like, but you could tef- definitely take something like microscope or just, I mean, even if you don't want to do microscope, it's just very important to do that session zero and come up with why these two races exist. I think microscope is a really good idea for coming up with that, but yeah, create that world. Yeah. And like in Ancestry Awaken, like I'm not trying to create a single shared world where like every single one of these ancestries exists at the same time it's more like presenting you with info if they did like here's cool facts or interesting things about this ancestry if they were in your world i don't expect someone to use every single one in a game i'd be impressed if you did but i don't really uh i don't really expect it it's like you you know here's options and you use what you want to use okay so yeah, there's no way you can ma- mix all these into a single world. And that is proven by probably my favorite thing that you have in this entire book. And that is the ooze. All right. The ooze. The ooze. So I'm sure you're going to be. I just, I'm so excited for people to see the cover art to this game. And. Because I have never, when I think ooze, I'm like, an ooze is not cool. And, <laughs> but I saw the cover art to this game and you have done it. You have, you and this artist have, whether you inspired him and he, they, they drew this, 
They drew this ooze, and it is incredible, and it is cool. And I want to talk about the ooze. Well, I want you to talk about the ooze. You're telling yeah. me I could play an ooze in my game? Absolutely. So, uh, part of what I was doing when I was coming up with Ancestry Awakening was like going through the monster manual and thinking of like what you know who would be good fits for for coming into this game. Uh, and the idea of an ooze did not enter my head at first, but when I was going through a second pass, it was almost like a challenge. Like, could I put an ooze in here? So I decided, yeah, you know what? We're making an ooze as a playable ancestry for Ancestry Awaken. So yeah, I I decided, like, cool, what if we had a sentient ooze that could take on, you know, an actual humanoid form instead of just you know, just a pile of goo. Um, and that and could gain class levels and could go and explore. Uh yeah, so that's that's kind of where it started and just kind of the progression. And like for all I think for all the ancestries in here, they have like how they fit into the world. And for the ooze, I was just, you know what? They're 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 special. They're an oddity. If you're playing if you're playing an ooze you're probably the only sentient ooze that people know of. Like something weird happened to to make you as an ooze. And I I think people are going to be drawn to that because of that factor. Just like you're a wild card. You have to come up with something in your backstory for why you're a sentient ooze. <laughs> and you it doesn't look like anything from the Monster Man. It doesn't look like anything from any other product I've ever seen. It really does the ooze looks cool like i am a huge fan of like when i play a game i want to be cool and so <laughs> like i just do like and this looks cool um with the it I, i'm not gonna spoil it it's just it's so good but the with the ooze then all right so if you are playing an ooze what's the perfect class for an ooze so couple things you can do the um the 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 art that we're using for it is kind of representing like a fighter or something but that 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 was almost randomly picked i just wanted to see an ooze in armor is what it came down to but uh i think someone and what i tried to do with these ancestries is come up with like more than one play style that could work with them so you could be someone that's a close combat fighter because you're an ooze you're amorphous, so you can like move around and like get in people's spaces in a way that other people can't. Um, but you could also be sticky, like you you could get in people's space and like burn them if they're grappling you because maybe you're acidic, or maybe you're sticky and you can like climb on walls and stay out of range, or maybe you're a sneak because you have an actual gelatinous body, so you're like getting through small cracks and stuff like that. Oh, it's it's it really is it's 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 very cool i love the i love the is um the you have all sorts of very cool uh so many cool ancestries in here that people can pick from so let's talk about the kickstarter a little bit so let's give us um tell us about um what what, what are you trying to do with this kickstarter then so very similar to what i was trying to do with uh with archive of magic items I'm I'm doing the writing and I've gotten all of these written, all the ancestries written. They're in playtesting now. But what I need help with is 
you know, funds to hire uh, for our artists, uh, for our editors, and for our sensitivity readers and layout. So to make this an actual good product, that's that's what we need the funds for. The content's already been written, it's still testing, and that's, I consider that the cheap and easy part, but the, the hard part and the, and the stuff that is really going to make it pop, I think, is is that art and, you know, the professional editing and everything, and that's the part that we need help and money for. So that's that's what the bulk of everything for the Kickstarter is going towards, mostly the, the art, because for every ancestry, we're going to want art for them to show you how cool they are, like this ooze, show you really cool things, um, and hopefully show you different different combinations of things that you're not expecting to see. Like, yeah, you can play a Gorgon Medusa, you know, warlock, or you could you could play that shark folk pirate. Like, you know, see these interesting thematic combinations of things. We didn't even talk about the shark folk pirate. That's I'm playing Ghost of Saltmarsh right now. Oh, <laughs> and I'm like, this is this is good. So, no, there's so many there's so many cool things. I definitely recommend um, people check out Ancestry Awaken when it hits when it hits Kickstarter. Um, and I think you're obviously we date ourselves immediately when we start throwing dates into a podcast. But <laughs> as of right now, you're looking to do this at near the the kind of the middle to end of spring 2020 correct yeah so tentative the not tentative the date i am aiming for is um april 28th for launching this and having it run for a month okay um aiming for that i'm hoping to do it uh with the way the world is right now things could change but that's that's what we're aiming for right now with fingers crossed and hoping for the best Absolutely. Um, so, Tim, before we get out of here, is there anything else that you want to tell anybody about Ancestry Awaken? You know, I I really hope that if you're interested in what we've been talking about, that you'll you'll support us. You'll tell people about it as well. Uh, I'm a very small creator. I have one small successful Kickstarter. Uh, this one's going to be bigger, and we have a we're hoping for more. So, any any way people can spread the word or support us is greatly appreciated. Um, we have a lot of cool ideas and we really, really want to be able to share it with everyone. Saying you have a lot of cool ideas is an understatement. You have <laughs> tons of cool ideas. And so, Tim, where can people find you if they want to interact with you? So the best place to find me on social media is Twitter. Uh, my handle is at PirateGonzalez. Important to note that Gonzalez is G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-Z because there's many ways of spelling Gonzalez. You, I also have a website, pirategonzalezgames.com. Okay. Um, the, when we get a Kickstarter preview page set up, we'll also you know, put updates and everything for the Kickstarter through there. But until then, those are the, the two best places to, to see what we're doing and as we post you know, previews and snippets from up ahead. Tom, Tom got to see the the full preview as of right now. So everyone else, you can you can see bits and pieces as we go. It's a, it's a very good it's a very good preview. You all should be jealous. It's so good. It's beautiful. <laughs> so no, definitely go everybody uh, go check out what Tim's doing. Go ahead and follow him on Twitter and make sure that you check out Ancestry Awaken when it hits Kickstarter. Um, and as 
as always, everyone, um, this has been this has been Tom. You can follow me at Bezcar Tom. And do not forget, remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize, but there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.